call is now being recorded. We are SC Podcast. Gary Pasquitz joined by Daryl Rideau for a review of uh, the USC opening game victory over UNLV. And, Daryl, it was a game that uh, the Trojans ended up winning by a comfortable margin, 43-21. to But I don't think that was, uh, that was really the story on the day. Um, as things played out, it was a day that uh, – had a lot of excitement for what could be possible for this USC team now with JT Daniels. I don't think there's any question that that, that was kind of the big storyline for the day as we were there. Um, why don't you just give, uh, give, give your thoughts on what you walked away from, and then we'll start breaking down uh, what we saw. Well, to, to wordplay off of uh, the, the novel by Charles Dickens, A Tale of Two Cities, it truly did feel like the tale of two halves. As the offense led by true freshman JT Daniels was really trying to find his rhythm I, I sat in the stands for the majority of the game Gary and I can tell you the the anticipation the excitement of the fans waiting for something great to happen and just the 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 letdown when the offense stalled in the um, inside their own red zone settling for field goals now mm-hmm. the flip side to that is uh, Chase McGrath did a phenomenal job, and I don't want to discredit anything that he did because whenever you can set a school record, uh, that's a great day for anybody and, and not miss a field goal. But the fact that this offense shows the uh, the potential of big playability and had to settle for uh, for field goals, I think that that just kind of left the suds um, in, in the sparkling wine, so to speak, a little flat. So to to – finally get a chance to just really kind of sit back and appreciate how much of of an impact that JT Daniels actually makes in this offense and the little things that people perhaps who were at the game or even watching don't realize what is being asked of him and how he was able to take true command of this um, this offense and really kind of get settled in and find the groove and rhythm and open up that deep ball late in the game that we'll be discussing today. Gary, it's truly remarkable. Um, I thought that they were going to be a, a little bit vanilla and have him become a game manager. I was greatly surprised by, or pleasantly surprised rather, by T. Martin's confidence in J.T. Daniels and allowing him to open up uh, this this offense. And, and, and talk about JT early, because like you said, it was a it was a slow start, if you will, and the, the Coliseum crowd got taken out of it a little bit. I, I thought it was really interesting that opening drive when uh, you know the, the Trojan defense gets them the ball right away. You know Isaiah Polamalu causes a fumble right away. Porter Gustin recovers, and you could almost sense the fans on the edge of their seat. And so the first play for the Trojans was a run, and the second was JT dropping back, and you could almost hear the hush coming over the crowd. Yeah, it was a finally got a chance to see JT, and like you say, it just kind of sputtered. Unfortunately, what do you think was uh, what was going on? Was it was it jitters? Was it lack of chemistry? Was it just I, I, I look at it as you're not going to see Tyler Bonds and Michael Pittman have a game like that where they're dropping balls. We haven't seen it before. I doubt we're really going to see it again. Or was JT just missing some throws? Right. Well, okay. First and foremost, Gary, um, the way that the defense started off, as you mentioned, with um, Isaiah Polamau, Pola Mao, am I pronouncing that right? Uh, Pola Mao, M A O on the end. I, yeah. I always want to say Pola Mao because that's who I played with. <laughs> and, and, and if he's a member of that family, that's good enough for me. <laughs> All right, fair enough. But I thought the the offensive 
coaches, we're a little tone deaf. When you have a play like that, a big play, why not take a shot? Just take yep. one shot deep. Just keep the defense honest. But instead, you go to and you know you you, you stick to your script and you hit. Um, you know, you start off with the running game. I thought that as the, the offense attempted to allow for JT to throw the ball, that we started to see the rust. And it's not rust from JT, so to speak, but it's the lack of reps that he took with the starters. Because as we recall and as we com reported, all throughout camp, there was a three-headed monster, not at the running back position, but at the quarterback position. As, mm-hmm. as um, Clay Helton tried to make it as fair as possible uh, to give each quarterback a, a fair opportunity to earn the job. Well, when you do that, you dilute the amount of reps that perhaps JT Daniels would have had with, with Pittman, with Michael Pittman and, and Tyler Vaughn in live action. In particular, in spring, uh, in, in the scrim, uh, not, not spring, I'm sorry, but the, um, the scrimmages. The scrimmages, throughout, yeah. Throughout the, um, fall camp. So what we saw was the timing and the rhythm off. These receivers not really understanding where JT likes to throw the ball. And it's, it's interesting because I think as the game wore on, they began to adjust. But early on when we saw drops, it's because of ball placement. What I noticed about JT and what I'm coming to appreciate uh, from this true freshman is he's years beyond his age in the sense that He'll place the ball where only his receivers can get it or it goes out of bounds. He's not going to take the risk of putting the ball in, in into no man's land where perhaps a, a defender can def, uh, get his hands on the ball. So when when either Vaughn or Pittman runs, let's say, a hook route or a curl route, they're accustomed to sitting in that pocket, whereas JT is expecting them to continue downhill. And what he'll do is he'll lead them into the ball. So that they can be, they can catch the ball away from the defender and perhaps have a chance to turn up and run. But because we were not seeing that, they were not expecting where the ball location is. But I, I suspect that on the sideline they had opportunities to communicate. Now you contrast that with his chemistry with Amon St. Brown, Amon Ross St. Brown. And, and again, a lot of people will allude to the fact that they spent a, a lot of time, and rightfully so, at modern day. But that trust factor we saw early when JT started to get hot, it was because T. Martin started designing plays where it got St. Brown in rhythm. He ran a, a quick slant followed by the next play, I believe, was like a speed out. Those little timing routes and JT knowing exactly where uh, St. Brown likes to get the ball and that placement led to that first touchdown that he finally hit. And I, I know I'm skipping a lot of sequences, but it's, it's worth mentioning. When uh, um, when uh, JT Daniels threw the ball to Amon Saint Amon Ross Saint Brown in the um, on that deep post, he put the ball where he knew Saint Brown was going to be. Now you you can't make that type of chemistry up, but you can develop that type of chemistry over time. The more reps that he continues to get with the starters, but I thought that his struggles early on was a combination of a few things, Gary. I thought that in the box. The, the running Rebels, UNLV, they did a really good job of trying to take away the um, the running game by putting eight and nine guys in the box and really uh, wanting to force Daniels in this offense to become somewhat one-dimensional. So that took away a lot of the quick hot routes, and there was a lot of traffic. 
But once JT started to open things up, it forced them to get out of those under fronts where they have guys at the line of scrimmage kind of hovered, taking away those quick passing lanes and clogging up the run lanes to now, okay, they had to go to like a three-deep zone or in some cases show a quarters look with two, with two safeties high because Daniel showed the ability to really take the, the – um, take the – take the top off the defense by going deep and connecting with great accuracy. Mm-hmm. What did you think of his, uh, just his overall composure through the day? Uh, I thought it was fantastic for a true freshman in his first game. I, I would agree with you. And I think the first signs that I saw was in practice, and, and I alluded to this a couple of weeks back, where he threw two interceptions on back-to-back. He saw in right. practice, right. He, it looked like he, he thought he saw a cover two look, tried, and he connected successfully on one play, hitting a corner route. Then the next two plays were kind of like uh, disguises. They were more quarters than not. But what, what that showed me was when he threw those two interceptions, his ability to come back and compete, I saw the same thing. While in this game, he did not have interceptions, and he played a very clean game considering all circumstances, right? Uh, the lack of reps mm-hmm. with the starters, the amount of volume of throws that he was asked to make in this game. Um, he handled himself with so much composure. He showed a pocket presence and discipline in staying in the pocket and committed to it, but also an escape um, the ability to escape out of the pocket, not just to run, but to extend plays, but flirted with a couple of runs enough to keep the defense honest. So when we say that this kid is years beyond his age, he did not have that deer in the headlights look that uh, that you a freshman in this type of fire, and you ask him now to put this team on, on his shoulders. <laughs> but uh, I, I would be... I would be dishonest and disingenuous, Gary, if I didn't say that there was one play in the first half in the red zone where I thought the offense got a little too cute by bringing in Matt mm-hmm. Dink. And it just felt a little awkward and out of place considering that it left at least the people around me, including myself, the question, okay, was Daniels hurt? Is he getting yanked because the offense doesn't seem to have the flow in chemistry? What was the purpose of Fink coming in? Now, I respect the fact that, you know, he's told the company line and he's done all the right things and you want to reward him by playing him, but I just thought the timing of that didn't flow that this game had shown early on. What were your thoughts on that? Yeah, it, I don't want to say it felt forced, but it just seemed, you know, not not now. You know, let's not get cute right now. Like right. that. There was still there was still a game to be won. And, and so, yeah, not, not a huge deal on my priority list, but uh, just didn't feel right, if you're going to ask me. You know? Right. But, but Gary, but, but, I'm yeah, also, I'm also curious, what were your thoughts on the overall play of the offensive line, you know, early uh, on? Good. good. Not, I'm, I'm still going to say not great, um, but I'm going to say good. Hey, you put up 500 yards of offense and 200 yards of rushing offense. I know that was not a very good defense on the other side of the football, um, but you also had a redshirt freshman in there at center. You had, you know, a line coming together for the first time. So uh, I'm going to say good, but, uh, yeah, would, would, would need to see more as we go along. Right. Um, but if you are going to look at this thing from a glass-half-full situation, I thought that uh-huh. as as the game wore on and they became more comfortable with, uh, in particular, where Daniels was going to sit in the pocket and mm-hmm. the, the angles by which he throws out of, I thought that as the game wore on, 
the offensive line gain more confidence in his ability to sit back there and make the right decisions. Because oftentimes you, you think that you're going to have to overcompensate and mask and identify where the hot reads are coming from and do more than what you're asked of when you're the offensive line trying to cover up for perhaps a quarterback that may not necessarily know how to identify all the reads. I didn't get the sense right. that at any point Daniels was overwhelmed and put that type of pressure on the offensive line. So not, if not you're going to look at it. I think that going in, the game plan was to establish the running game early to take pressure off of Daniels and then allow him to kind of find his rhythm. But it actually worked in reverse. As the offense sputtered at times due to the fact that UNLV was going going to commit to containing the run, I thought that it was Daniels' ability to get hot at times, find his rhythm, and connect uh, to St. Brown, as we talked about, but then also later on, you know, w- when he found Trayvon Sidney, I said, okay, now you're not just connected with one player. You're really kind of understanding what the offense is, is um, asking of you and identifying where where the matchups are. When he hit Sidney on that, um, up that seam on that skinny post, that told me, okay, this kid has finally arrived, and it forced, like I said, that defense to back off, which opened up lanes for um, Aka Cedric Ware. We saw flashes of Carr, and more importantly, I thought Vavai's physicality uh, and, and, and running in between tackles is going to be a much-needed presence uh, for that running back trio that I'm going to deem the college version of Earth, Wind, and Fire because they each bring different elements to their game that's going to force teams to have to game plan week in and week out. Now, what do you think about there's uh, some people on the message boards talking about the fact that, hey, we, we, we also didn't show much in terms of, you know, a, a vanilla offense, if you will, with Stanford and Texas coming uh, coming up that, hey, the USC offense, there's a, there's a lot left in the bag here, and we got by with a 22-point victory without showing Stanford a heck of a lot. Well, yeah, and it's interesting because we didn't see a lot of tight end play. And as we know, last year tight ends played a critical role in the short yardage packages uh, for, for SC in, in, in terms of getting the ball out in rhythm and timing. And so because we didn't see that, it does lead you to believe that there is a lot more in this bag. So – much of it, I think, was the offense settling into a series of plays or some areas in the field that they thought that with Daniel's skill set, he can attack. But going back, Gary, uh, you know, we're, we're looking at the score, right? The offense puts up 43 points, and much of them came on um, at, the, at the efforts of McGrath on his leg. But when you look at it, there were a couple of, Situations where if Pittman catches the ball in the end zone, which clearly hits his hands, and we don't oftentimes see him drop that, especially with some of the the prolific passes that he caught last year from Darnold. Then you also see Tyler Vaughn unable to get both feet in, so so a touchdown was overturned. You're talking about 14 points that ultimately the offense had to settle for threes. So this could have easily been a situation where Daniels could have, you know, completed 26, 27 passes that, you know, from from those few that were dropped and thrown for three or four touchdowns. Make no mistake about it, this offense is just getting started. But the fact that, you know, you know, you know we felt like, okay, they played a, a, um, 
you know, a pretty good second half and a lackluster first half, and then you look at the, like you said, you, you look at the total um, scoreboard and the points in the yardage that they put up, they still accumulated 500 yards. So if you're doing that with 500 yards just getting started, putting up 500 yards just getting started, I am very optimistic about what this team can do. Now, um, but with that being said, I, I think that Daniels has the ability to elevate the play of the receivers around him. Because as we saw with Amon Ross St. Brown and his ability to find holes in the in the defense and then come back to the ball, I think we'll also start to see that with the other receivers. Instead of waiting in a little pocket and allowing the, the defender to collapse and suffocate that area, I think that we'll start to see more movement. And once we start seeing that, it's going to open up tremendous opportunities, not only across the field, but again, those deep balls that Daniels has proven that he can now throw. Yeah, and like, like we talked about earlier, I, I, I don't see this happening again with Bonds and Pittman where they both have a game where they struggle. That's just, I, I just, I'd be very surprised that happens again. It happened now for whatever reason. And like you say, if it doesn't happen, there's, uh, there's more points, there's more completions and yardage for JT, and everybody's probably walking out of with smiles that are a little wider than they already are for what they saw from JT. But I think at the end of the day, uh, no matter how you look at it, we saw you and I were right there at the end of the, at the bottom of the tunnel when JT came off the field, and uh, if you can judge by the reaction of the USC fans, it reminded me very much, Daryl, of Carson Palmer's first game uh, against Purdue when Carson wasted no time in capturing the hearts of the USC fans. They were waiting for it, and he gave it to them on that first day. As we were standing there when JT came off the field, he was getting full rock star treatment. No from doubt. the SC crowd. Uh, no doubt. The crowd, is, but, the, the, crowd is, the crowd is into JT Daniels right now, and I thought that was one of the biggest things that I take away from the day. Uh, and and is, I thought is, he handled it with so, so much dignity. You know, he, he could have – there's a, a number of different things that he could have done, but this kid is seasoned. And this offense needed maturity at that position when you're replacing the likes of a Sam Darnold. And you get that. You get that with JT Daniels, and it gives you the assurance that at least after one game moving forward and all that we've learned and, and come to know about Daniels, that he was the right fit and Clay Helton made the right decision. Now, could he have made that decision a little earlier? I'm not so certain that it, it would have changed the outcome of this particular game, but it certainly might have calmed down the passing game a little bit sooner had he had gotten more reps with the starters in camp. But now that we're here and this product is on the field, you know, upside is to come. And you needed to struggle a little bit to give some humility to this offense, considering who you're going up against next week, a more vaunted defense that isn't going to just – allow you to pick their secondary apart. You're going to have to earn things, which is why I think that timing and rhythm routes, getting the tight ends involved in this week's game plan is going to be critical. Well, let's also remember, we, we were down two tight ends. We were down Daniel Mitrovic and Josh Follow yesterday. You had Tyler Petit and an Eric Cromenhoek who barely practiced this fall. So right. um, it's going to be interesting to see how much they can utilize them. Uh, if follow and Daniel are out. I, I want to make mention before we flip over to defense, Daryl, I, I just want to mention the running back trio because I, I really thought it gave a taste of what all three of those backs can bring. Um, they, they all kind of fulfilled their role of what you were hoping for. You know, it was, was said, just, I mean, 10 yards a carry for said. Okay, I'll t- we'll take that any day of the week. Uh, right. Stephen Carr's, 
Stephen Carr showing a little flash, and, and I'll say this, um, I'm never a favor of putting a guy like Stephen Carr back there on kickoff return, but, of course, he goes out there and breaks a nice one, and then Vivai doing his thing. Yep. But if we're going to talk Carr back there on kickoff return, how about Tyler Bonds on punt return? Um, I liked it all during fall camp. Whenever we saw it, he was kind of my dark horse guy. Yeah. But, boy, he really showed something when he was out there. And and what I love about it, Gary, is let, let me start with Carr. Okay, Carr could have easily pouted that he didn't perhaps get the start, and you know perhaps he didn't get as many carries as as one would expect uh, from a, a star like him uh, returning. But keep in mind, and I had to to remember this that he is coming off of an injury, and I thought that this uh-huh. offense, this offensive coaching staff handled it handled it the right way. They rewarded the senior in Ware who. You know, who was an Ironman all throughout spring, stayed healthy, and then even in fall camp, and they rewarded him with the start, and he and he in return, you know, accumulated 100 yards. Now with with Carr, I was not expecting him to be a you know a kick returner, but his ability to electrify the Coliseum, it infused mm-hmm. life on that sideline, and you need that. You know, when they finally let the for, – for this cheap pun, they finally let the car out of the garage and, and show us what, you know, he dazzled us with last year, it, it leads you to believe that, man, this is going to be a special season for this rotation. These are three unselfish running backs, like I said, who all possess different skill sets. They're all physical at the point of contact, but they get to their physicality a little differently. You're going to get more shake-and-bake elusiveness with – with Carr, but he'll punish you at the point of contact when necessary. And, and where, uh, just stay out of his way because he's going to slash and hit you downhill with maybe like a one cut downhill, and he's going to come with force. Vavai, he's just not going to turn away from any type of punishment. He's going to inflict as much pain as possible. And so inside the red zone, if you're not going to focus on or short yardage, if you're not going to focus on uh, a true fullback. What better way to, uh, than to run the ball in, in a zone-blocking scheme with three physical running backs that are just going to impose their will over the course of a game? Now, as, as more game footage, as, as um, teams start to have more footage on Daniels, they're going to have to respect the fact that he can throw the ball with uh, great accuracy and efficiency, which is going to open up uh, stronger running lanes like we saw in the second half for these trio of running backs. What do you think of the thought that uh, you know, Tyler struggled, obviously, in the first half and he wasn't getting going? It seemed like the punt returns kind of helped him, whatever you want to call it, loosen yep. up, get more comfortable. But he certainly had a better second half with a couple of catches, so I, I, I thought that helped. You, you know, and sometimes when you're fast, you know, using another analogy from a, a pitcher, when your fastball isn't working, you yeah. got to go to a yeah. changeup. And for Tyler, yeah. it almost felt like, you know, the punt return and the the yards that he was able to obtain in that just kind of relaxed him. It got him into the yeah. groove of the game too. And how unselfish was it for him to go back there and, and commit to returning punts and doing enough, doing whatever it takes, not pouting that you know uh, that he wasn't catching the ball or showing demonstrative frustration or, or you know or trying to show out uh, Daniels, but just allowing the game to come to him. This group of veteran. Receivers, in particular Vaughn, as you mentioned, I like him at the punt return. I think not only is it a safe bet that he's going to secure and possess the the ball for the offense, but also if if he can pick up 10, 20 yards on a return when opportunities present themselves, create those short yardage situations for the offense, 
it, it just it really forces teams now to have to game plan across the board. And you love what you saw you saw from that. But uh, a, a flip to that. Um, I got to go back to St. Brown because this kid is magic, Gary. He is special. Uh, the fact that he was able to play outside receiver, move him into the slot, and you were able to see his versatility. His his route running is unparalleled to anybody that they have on this roster right now. And I think that that, that type of electricity is, is really going to galvanize this group. And we're going to see the best of them because that competition within and those little pointers that they're able to pick up on where Daniels likes to throw the ball is going to rub off on the likes of a Pittman and Vaughn and then and uh, and also Trayvon Sidney. Where I think that the upside to this group, this quartet of receivers that I just talked about, is I don't think we're going to see another situation where Vaughn's dropped those type of passes or Pittman, you know, um, doesn't come down with those key touchdown opportunities. I do think that as they become more comfortable in practice, we're going to see that rhythm show up in the game. Okay, let's flip it over to defense. Uh, give me your thoughts on what you saw. Well, I, I love the way that the defense started. You, you know, we, we talked about uh, a last-minute start uh, with, with, you know, with, with the strong safety um, coming in. Um, Isaiah, where I thought that he really helped himself was that first play, his physicality, Isaiah Palomao coming in, forcing the, the, the fumble, recovered by Port Augustine. That really energized the Coliseum, and that's where I think that this defense is going to show up most. They're going to start, in most cases, they may start the game, and this experience, their ability to create turnovers and create havoc is going to create more opportunities for the offense. But with every big play, Gary, I also thought that there's a ton of room for this group to improve. And much of it comes in the form of communication. I, I thought that uh, the plays that they were able to give up, again, they, they gave up 300 yards on the ground. So I want to focus on the bad before we, we highlight the goods because, for me, there was more goods than bad. Uh, they gave up 300 yards on the ground, but many – one can argue that much of those yards came on the likes of two plays. So if you eliminate the the fake reverse and um, it was a what, punt – uh, the fake punt? Mm-hmm. You know, if mm -hmm. you eliminate those two plays, this defense played sound. And But let me focus on the reverse. Last year, the reverse was an Achilles heel for this defense. So what do you do during all offseason? You oftentimes you work on your weaknesses. And I, I truly believe, not a reverse, that they over-pursued. And in particular, when your front seven over-pursues, it's up to your safeties to, to really protect the backside on cutbacks. Left wide open lanes that were corrected later on, but when you make those type of mistakes, there isn't anybody back there that's going to erase your mistakes. So you have to be sound in your fits. And what I'm referring to is your angles coming back. You need to come inside out, almost like a banana angle. You weave inside and then you come out so that you end up on the outside side of the of the um, the running back who was coming in reverse. He cut up the field and hit pay dirt 71 yards later. Now, what I love, Gary, is the physicality of the defensive line. It's going to cause a lot of havoc, and 
and what we saw was because of the activity from coming from the defensive line, we saw free movement from um, Cam Smith and also uh, from um, Port Augustine. We saw productive linemen who were chipping defensive linemen and then coming up the field. Uh, you know, there was one play where Cam extended out, got a deflection, and showed his athletic ability and his range. But but our secondary, including the linebackers, were able to get their hands on several balls for deflections that later on in the year will become interceptions. But overall, I think that we'll go back this week and work on their their tackle fits and and also their pursuit angles. They clean up those two things. This is a defense that's going to create a lot of three-and-out situations. But to their credit, they kept UNLV in long third-down situations. Overall, I was really um, energized by Gustin's ability to create havoc, create those sacks, get his hands on the ball with deflections, and, and recover the fumble. I thought that he showed his leadership coming off of an injury-plagued um, camp but demonstrating the courage to come out and play and give you the production that you would expect from a senior. Uh, the two pass deflections that I really liked, uh, C.J. Pollard in the end zone. I uh, yep. thought that was a terrific play by that young man. And then uh, Biggie Marshall early on had one in the, in the, in the, in the closed end. Uh, yep. And I thought it was a great example of we, we've talked so much about the way that Biggie seems to have improved get, getting turned around and, and – I think a lot of the fans not seeing practice were skeptical of that. And yeah. uh, I think that play was a very good example of, okay, this is what we've been seeing in practice uh, from Biggie, because I thought that was a perfect play. Uh, I mean, here it is. Here, here's a senior that has been battle-tested throughout the years and, and really kind of pass interferences that he's created. But over the last, I'd say, uh, second half of last year, including – I'm expecting big things from him. He knows that he's the leader of that secondary, in particular that corner. Asked against team's best receivers, and I thought that he came out. He was very alert, put himself in great positions to make plays, and uh, and his ability, physicality at the point of contact, serve what defense wants to do. But I do want to highlight right now C.J. Power because. Here, here is a kid who's been in the system for a number of years right now and has done nothing but show a commitment to getting better as we begin to see in practice in some of the spring games, um, going back to spring in some of the, the scrimmages. But for him to have an opportunity, I thought was a critical time of the game. The um, UNLV's offense attacked him right away, up the seam, and, and he made a led to a touchdown so to trust him in that situation under that type of pressure led to that three and out situation where i'm most excited about is coming off much depth considering that they were down two safeties and now you're having to rely upon and ready to compete and I think that he's going to be one who contends for a lot of playing time this year in C.J. Pollard. Uh, give your thoughts on uh, the UNLV quarterback. Uh, his style of play, let's say, is going to remind us of a guy we're going to see, Leo Tate. Um, 
he was certainly better than I thought he was going to be. And uh, right. I, I think he was. Armani Rodgers uh, did yeah, impress Armani me. Rogers, yeah. yeah, he did impress me, and he, he surprised me. And while some people, at least in the stands, were making the comparison that, hey, you know, this kid has some flashes of Vince Young, I saw a little bit of Randall Cunningham coming from that running mm-hmm. rebel, um, that, that running rebel program. Well, what impressed me most about him was his ability, his his ability to to scramble and extend plays. Now, to his credit, he's going to make a lot of plays uh, throughout their conference, but you're not always going to see the type of defense that you see when you face USC. Five defensive backs, four linebackers, you know, and two down linemen. They give you different looks. They mix things up where it confuses even the best of quarterbacks, okay? But but his ability to scramble and extend those plays, I thought was, uh-oh, here we go again. Another mobile quarterback potentially can give this offense, I mean, give uh, USC's defense uh, a, a number of problems. Where um, what surprised me was, considering the fact that he was scrambling, um, had it not been for USC rotating a number of different defensive players and keeping them fresh, I thought he might have he he might have had more success in the passing game. But to keep him under 100 yards is remarkable because this kid could have easily had a 300 100 plus a 300. Um, yard day in the air and 100 yards plus on the ground day but instead USC found a way to kind of neutralize him and I think he too fell in love with his ability to scramble and run because that's what was available for him doing we catch him in week one and not in week three or four because he may be a different quarterback and one to watch and in later in his career he may become a Heisman hopeful based on what I saw yeah he was uh he was good one comment that Clay Helton made after the game was he talked about how he goes, hey, we, you know, he admitted, hey, we struggled early, you know, we didn't find our chemistry early, you hope that it hits right away, but it didn't. But he said it was a game that could have gotten away from us, didn't play clean. If way, but he said we, we, we played no turnovers, um, and he particularly talked about the young guys. He goes, so many young guys stepped up for us today. So talk about that element in a game one when, hey, you did not play your best football against a team that you could have uh, really steamrolled out of there. You didn't, but you still played a clean football game. That that part has to be encouraging. I, I think it truly is, and that's the difference. And that gave USC the opportunity uh, to, to kind of really find their grounding and get going in the second half. Because if you think about it, and this is no slight to Darnold, but Darnold sometimes had more confidence than perhaps the play allowed for, and he he put balls in compromising situations, which led to either interceptions or perhaps fumbles. But it was Darnold, I mean, I'm sorry, Daniels, JT Daniels' ball security, and his ability really to just take what the defense is giving you and not put the offense in compromising situations. I, I oftentimes think sometimes when good things happen, it creates positive mojo and momentum. But also the same thing can be said by the yin and yang of when bad things happen. Uh, for example, let's say USC gets into the red zone, McGrath misses a few of those field goals that we're not, no one wants to really seem to praise him for, but I will because he made those, those, um, those necessary field goals to keep to keep USC in the game. It was it was being clean in that area, securing the ball, and then also 
the defense being able to adjust to some of the mistakes that they made and not allowing those mistakes to compound. We've seen that in the past where it's those uh-oh moments, but, but the fact that there's so much veteran leadership and you're blending in the, the freshmen who played above their years is, is kudos to, and I think it's a testament to the way that Clay Helton has turned this program around and that they're taking on his personality. He doesn't panic under pressure. This team hadn't panicked under pressure. And I think you can take that on the road to give yourself a chance to win. Yeah, I thought it was interesting when one of the reporters asked him, uh, you know, good news, bad news on McGrath making five field goals. And he he chose bad news because he said we didn't get the ball in the end zone. I get that from a coaching perspective, but but I'm a believer points, points, points. And, okay, if you don't get the ball in the end zone, that's 15 points that uh, Chase McGrath put on the board. Uh, Absolutely. That's important. Very and those were, okay. pressure, and those were pressure situations that I uh, thought yeah. he handled remarkable. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. Okay, so let me, let's end this by saying, okay, uh, game one check in the books. Uh, like what you like about it. Don't like what you don't like about it. But you're going on now, and we knew weeks two and three are going to be tougher. Let's start uh, with, with the next opponent, Stanford. What needs to be the step taken? What we, if, if you could wave your magic wand, what step needs to be taken as we get ready for the Cardinal next week? Well, I think that, first of all, that uh, Daniels needs to develop some chemistry and continuity, even if that means spending some extra time after practice throwing to his receivers. Um, Two, I think that the offensive line, while they block better in the second half, they need to come out early on and create necessary spacing to get the running back going. Uh, And I think sometimes you can run a 12 personnel, two tight end sets, to create that type of a matchup that you're looking for to, to create the necessary running lanes. Because up at the farm, you're going to have to rely early on hard-nosed running in order to give your offense a chance to develop rhythm. Defensively, very, very critical that they clean up and they shore up their uh, back angle pursuits. So when the play is going away from you, those cutback angles, you need to, to, to create containment in order to neutralize the, the running of Love, who's a Heisman, um, Heisman candidate, probably the leader in the house, I don't know about after last week, but you don't want to be the week where he rushes for 200-plus yards because it's going to spell for a long day. But overall, I'm, um, my optimism lies in the fact that you have an unselfish team who's willing to do and commit to whatever it takes, whether it's Vaughn returning punts, Carr returning kickoffs, doing whatever is necessary to keep this team, um, you know, on the right track of getting better. I think that these were steps that they can build upon, Gary, but I would love to see some healthy bodies come back to, to, to relieve the stress that's placed on the tight end position. Uh, that would be nice, no doubt about it. Okay, the Trojans 1-0, 43-21 victory over UNLV. For Daryl Rodeau, this is Gary Passwitz. You're listening to the We Are SC Podcast.